0: All right, everyone, welcome to the weekly roll up. This is the last week of February, the fourth week of February. David, what do we do on these weekly roll ups? We roll up the full week
1: of crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor. First, we start with the markets. What are the markets saying? Then we go into releases. What got released in the last week of crypto? Then we go into the news. What happened in the news cycle? Then we get into some ecosystem takes. Who had some interesting opinions over the last week? And then lastly, we get into what David and Ryan are excited about. And then we top things off with the meme of the week.
0: I like how you fit that in, David. Are you ready to start? Let's get going with markets. You ready?
1: Absolutely. So again, so much happened in markets. Let's get into it.
0: All right, let's roll them up. Markets, let's start with Bitcoin. What is going on with Bitcoin? It was up and now it's down. What's happening? Bitcoin topped out at
1: $58,300. And now it is at the low, low price of (laughs) $49,100. I feel like this is our biggest correction in the crypto markets this entire quote unquote bull run ever since like uh, the end of DeFi summer right so DeFi summer had ha- happened and then that was a pr- pretty big correction we had like a quote unquote like two month bear market uh th- this is most, mostly a facetious joke um but that was like kind of the last time we ever had any big correction and ever since then it's been basically there's a linear up into the right trend and but finally we got this big correction both in in bitcoin and in ether prices but The trend is still your friend. The trend is still here. We're still looking good over the long term.
0: David, uh, we've been told to respect the pump. I think we've got to respect the dip, my friend. Sometimes these Mm -hmm. dips happen. This is perfectly normal during a bull market. You're going to see 30%. Mm -hmm. You're going to see 40% dips, sometimes a little bit higher. In previous bull markets, that happened three or four times before the end of it. This does not necessarily mark the end of the bull market. And I'm still bullish. ETH yep. over 2K as well uh, this week, but now it's back down. Where where did we go, and where are we now? Yeah, ETH broke 2K and it hit 2040
1: $2, dollars. So just got a little bit over 2K. Decided it wasn't really it's it's the right wasn't it wasn't the right time. You know we're we're saving it for later. Uh, we're back down to fifteen hundred and seventy two dollars, almost five hundred dollars off of the ETH top. Which again is a it's a big correction. A legacy market participants don't understand like the these the magnitudes of these moves. But in crypto, this is just a normal correction. This is just how it goes.
0: David, I'm just glad we got a chance to celebrate ETH2K, my friend. Like, you know, (laughs) that felt good. Just hitting that milestone, Mm. even though we're under now, I'm confident that we'll get back there again. Uh, What happened to total locked value in DeFi? That's down a bit too.
1: Yeah, we we peaked out at forty-three billion dollars locked in DeFi. The, the last weekly roll up, we reported it at 42. Uh, and today we are at thirty-seven and a half billion dollars locked in, in DeFi. Uh, it actually takes a, a little bit more of effort and energy to figure out like, well, what is just asset price appreciation versus depreciation when it comes to locked in DeFi, or what is actually like deposits and and or withdrawals from the ecosystem. So there's a little bit of noise here in this metric, but still like thirty. Seven and a half billion dollars, still a large number, just a little bit, you know, shaved off the top.
0: Next big milestone seems to be fifty billion. We'll see how long it takes us to get there. Uh, let's talk about DPI. So this is mm-hmm. the the DeFi Pulse Index tracking the top ten DeFi tokens. You know what's interesting about this? If I look on the weekly view, David, um, it's about flat. So yeah. it didn't take quite the hit that Ether. It it, it definitely went up with ETH, but it didn't. Mm-hmm take uh, quite the hit, at least from indications. Where are we hanging out right now? Yeah, we are just below $400, $394 for one DPI. Yeah. And let's, let's take a look at the uh, DPI ETH ratio to see mm-hmm. sort of that effect. So um, it's up a little bit from last week. Right. This is definitely
1: where you can see the strength that DPI and DeFi at large had against Ether. Uh, the last uh, last weekly roll-up, it, it was also the first major correction of DPI versus Ether. But now we are back up to the week before that, right? And so DPI, out,
0: once again, outperforming Ether. Do you know, I have a reason for this. So it's always it's always a mistake. I It's often a mistake, I would say, to attribute Kind of like the noise of, of markets to specific fundamental reasons. But I think this might be due to the binance chain narrative, David. So uh, binance chain has been gaining, gaining some steam volume and volume and usage, some real, some not so real. Uh, but that aside has been gaining some some usage while ether uh, ethereum fees, gas fees have been going kind of off the charts. And I think the DeFi token index move up while ETH price move down or at least this, this ratio uh, moving up a bit might be as a result of that, might be as a result of people seeing that narrative or hearing that narrative and being a bit less bullish ETH relative to DeFi tokens. Do you think uh, I'm jumping the gun on that take or do you think that's a, a live narrative that is affecting these prices uh, over the last week?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We definitely saw the Binance chain BNB token absolutely skyrocket last week to a, a, I think, yeah, it became number three in market cap behind Bitcoin and Ether. It is Binance chain next. I think it even passed Tether, uh, which is pretty crazy. So uh, Binance chain definitely riding in the same tailwinds that Ether is riding in and uh, if you are bullish Binance Chain, you would might even say that uh, Binance ch- BNB token kind of took the wind out of Ether sales. Um, I'm skeptical as to how long that lasts, but you know, bi- last week was definitely a win for Binance Chain believers and BNB holders.
0: Yeah. Are you a Binance Chain believer, David? I don't know. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all.
1: <laughs> okay. why, why, I don't, CZ doesn't pay my salary. He doesn't pay my <laughs> paycheck. Why would I believe
0: in his product? No, I believe in protocols. I think we'll have uh, time to get into that, hopefully, during the take section. I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, one of us has some hot takes on that. Um, <laughs> let's one. go to the next, though, <laughs> on the market side of things. <laughs> While this happens, again, anytime mm-hmm. there's buys or anytime there's sales, so you know, in a, uh, in a bull run or in a bear run um, with, with these market moves, DEXs tend to do well, or at least exchanges tend to do well. And lately, decentralized exchanges have been just crushing it in terms of crushing volume. It. They had their biggest day ever, over, over $4 billion in daily DEX volume now. I mean, these numbers would have blown our minds back in 2017, and now we're hitting them on the regular, and they feel like they're only going to go up during this bull cycle. What do you think about this?
1: Yeah, so uh, volume is goes hand in hand with volatility, right? And so when there are big moves, and especially big moves down because big de- uh, downward moves tend to happen much faster than upward moves. And so there's a lot of volume that's compressed into a short amount of time. And I think that blow off top from uh, t- uh, $22,000 down to even the low, low price of $1,400 where Ether was, that's a big move. And that means that there's going to be a lot of on-chain liquidations. There's going to be a lot of people... Uh, selling off their positions, there's going to be a lot of people taking positions, there's just overall going to be a lot of volume. And we're seeing that we're seeing that in DeFi, we're seeing that with Dexes. Uh, just all time highs with DEX volume uh, on the upside and on the downside.
0: This is just how volume works. Last I checked, DEX volume was like something like, you know, 5 to 7% or so of centralized exchange volume. Um, I'm looking for that ratio to go up. I'm looking for oh, yeah. decentralized exchange volume to start consuming more and more of the centralized exchange traffic. And we'll see how that uh, turns out. David, this is a really like we, we refer to DeFi Pulse all the time. That's DeFiPulse.com. They just came out with a crypto dollars chart, which I think is super cool. <laughs> this is all time, David. So, Dude, look at this. It's like it's like climbing Everest. We got a mountain of crypto dollars being printed. Each of these crypto dollars generally is backed by some collateral. So this is not fractional reserve banking, which is which is interesting, right? Each of these uh, crypto dollars actually represents a dollar of value in collateral or a dollar in the bank. But we're at over thirty-five billion now in terms of crypto dollars that are active and live on uh, Ethereum, and I think this probably includes maybe some that are on, um, or is this just Ethereum? I'm, not, I'm actually not sure, David, do you know? Uh, yeah, I believe this is just Ethereum. Yeah, I don't okay. think there's a, a single other chain that they have
1: listed here. Um, the interesting thing about this this metric, and you can see a similar chart with a BTC on Ethereum, uh, you, charts tend to go up and down, but not these charts. This chart is only up, which really is really indicative of Crypto dollars, when deployed to Ethereum, don't leave. They only <laughs> yes. stay. And, and Bitcoin, when it's deployed to Ethereum, doesn't. Uh, it leaves a little bit more than crypto dollars, but generally it stays there, right? And so this is one of the fundamental theses that we have about Ethereum as like the nexus of, of internet economic activity as the global permissionless settlement layer. Once assets come to Ethereum, they don't leave because they're more useful on Ethereum. And so like we see corrections in crypto prices, we see corrections in other realms, but with crypto dollars, up and to the right never ever down
0: yeah i think like just i guess ask yourself um if if you have a sell plan david right i'm sure you have some sort of sell plan mm-hmm. um you're you know I'm, I'm sure like like most of us in the bank lister and you're not going to sell all of your crypto assets but you might sell some uh when the market heats up too much during this this bull cycle uh aside from money you need to pay bills rents living expenses that kind of thing like when you sell are you going to bring your money back into your Wells Fargo account or what are you going to do with it? Why would I do that? Like my Wells <laughs> Fargo account, that's their account
1: that they let me use. I would rather use my own account on Ethereum. I was having this uh, interesting conversation in the uh, ETH Finance uh, 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 subreddit. Shout out to the, all the uh, r Finance bros, underappreciated subreddit out there. Um, and I was I was saying like you know when I when I do my which I do plan on doing at towards the end of this uh, towards the end of the cycle I plan on holding crypto dollars in my my ETH wallet just because that's my account like self sovereignty self custody uh, what's also interesting is I also added into this conversation and, and this is kind of where the conversation led is I actually also plan on having a decent number of my crypto dollars that I will sell into not inside of smart contracts right so not only am I selling into dollars which are stable and, and you know, while we shit on the dollar, at the end of the day, it is the dollar. Can't can't really hate on it. But I'm also going to keep it out of contracts or at least make sure that when I do put them into contracts, they are insured because one part I want to lock in my profits, but then I also want to reduce risk. And, right? And so buying into the dollars, having a position in dollars is a reduction of risk position. But if I put those dollars into contracts, um, then I'm taking more risk, right? And so I actually plan on selling into dollars and also keeping them out of contracts, just to be able to hold for the long term.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I've the same plan, right? So, I my money is not going to touch my traditional bank account, Wells Fargo account, where I'm earning like 0.01%, almost near zero.
1: Just call it zero.
0: Just call it zero. 0% when there's a crypto dollar stablecoin interest mm-hmm. earning opportunities like spanning from three to five to 10%, right? Depending and some on of risk. these are relatively low risk, some of them are more risky than others. So, um, it, it's exactly what you said, David. The money, once it goes into crypto, it's like a black hole. It ain't coming out. Even if you're mm-hmm. selling reserve assets because they're overheated, like Bitcoin or ETH on the cycle, they're staying in crypto dollars. All right. Um, Before we'll you be move modern- on, Ryan, I really yeah. like that metric on the
1: left that they have is custodial dominance. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was going to say That's it's a really something cool metric. That. All
0: right. So what does this mean? What does custodial dominance mean?
1: Yeah. It means uh, what percentage of crypto dollars are uh, trusted, right? Um, USDC. Tether, what has like a a custodian managing a dollar in the real world, right? So this wouldn't include DAI. And so that's going to be an interesting metric to watch over time.
0: And it's at 93%, which is a little Mm -hmm. bit sad. It's a little bit sad face. Like the trustless dollars have not... have not succeeded against right. traditional crypto dollars yet. So yeah,
1: but they have such strong tailwinds because there's so many dollars out there, and yeah. there's much they're easier to get out the gate. There's less risk with them. They don't have to worry about solidity and code. They can just put dollars in a bank account and then make this claim that say, "Hey, we'll give you one of these if you give us a crypto dollar." Blah 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 blah.
0: I totally agree. And guys, if you want to check out crypto dollars, what they are in more long form content, check out our Jeremy Allaire. Conversation Mm -hmm. that was a few podcasts ago. Just look that one up. Okay, this is probably the biggest news. We're going to touch on it in the news, but but let Mm -hmm. me just touch on the market piece. So here's the thing: Coinbase just dropped. Their S one report. This is sort of the filing with the SEC that's public that they need to drop um, before they they IPO before they go public. We'll get into that in a second because that's in the news section. But I just mm-hmm. wanted to highlight this stat that came from it, David, which is probably the most bullish thing I've seen this this month, maybe uh, maybe this year. <laughs> <laughs> and so well, it's, you know, this week anyway. I'll get it that yeah, at least <laughs> this week. <content laughs> out. Um and, and that's. Uh, the Coinbase's volume. Okay. And they segmented it in their S1 report. There's a fantastic graph here that, that shows you um, what it looks like. And the bottom line is right now in Q4, 2020, Coinbase estimated that 36% of their volume was from retail. So only 36% mm-hmm. from retail. That means the rest is more from kind of institutions. That was totally different During the last bull run in Q1 of 2018, the last bull cycle, it was 80% retail, okay? Now it's 36% retail. Before it was 80% retail. You can interpret this a few different ways. One interpretation is, oh my God, we're already here and retail Mm -hmm. hasn't even come yet. That's one interpretation. What, What do you make of this, David?
1: Yeah, the, I'm reminded of in 2017, 2018, like the memes that were going around to like convince people to not sell was like, quote unquote, the institutions are coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and back in 2017, 2018, we were right. They were coming just three years later, right? Much further down the line. But now the institutions <laughs> are here, right? Like this is clearly indicative of bigger, well capitalized entities coming and just dominating uh, exchange volume over retail.
0: Yeah, I think retail beat institutions the first bull run. It feels like institutions have beat retail a little bit this bull run, at least for some of these assets, maybe not for DeFi type assets. But mm-hmm. it also feels like we've got a lot, lot of way to run from retail, right. like coming into right. this space. I, I'm sure we'll see some sort of retail friendly uh, frenzy before this is all over. David, right. you ready to get into the releases?
1: Yes, we absolutely. Let's get into releases. But first, we're going to take a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. If you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat in your bank account and any token on Uniswap or even any vault in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes, and after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io. That's D-H-A-R-M-A.io. Download the Darba app and get yourself unbanked today.
0: If you want to live a bankless life, you've got to get yourself a Monolith DeFi Visa card monolith is a one-two punch it's both an ethereum smart contract wallet and a visa card that lets you spend the money you hold in your ethereum account anywhere visa is accepted this is super cool you can swipe your card at the coffee shop at the gas station when you do you're paying with crypto all without a bank this has been the crypto vision since day one and it's here Monolith also offers on-ramps for getting your fiat into the world of DeFi, so it's trivial to top up your Monolith card whenever you need to. You can top it up with ETH, DAI, or DeFi tokens. And because Monolith is native DeFi infrastructure, the money that you hold not only never touches a bank, but it retains its DeFi superpowers. So you can swap assets on Uniswap. You can earn yield and DeFi protocols. You've never had a Visa card like this before. Go to monolith.xyz now and sign up to get your monolith card. That's monolith.xyz. All right, guys, we are back getting to the releases on this last week of February roll up. David, we got to start here. Optimism. Tell hmm. us what Optimism is and what they're doing and why this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, optimism is uh, favorable beliefs about the future, right? That's what it <laughs> means to be optimistic. But optimism is also a scaling platform on Ethereum using some sort of a uh, uh, op- we, we call them optimistic rollups, right? And where you settle optimistically, uh, and there, there's some nuances behind that. But this post is about, and and the the point is that is that everyone is really really bullish on the optimistic rollups and how they're how they are constructed, and everyone is optimistic about optimistic. Roll-ups, and what what makes me optimistic about optimism is the amazing, crazy team that they are putting together. So they just put out this blog post called "Dope Hires and More Mainnet in March." Uh, so they go through just a number of just really strong players that they uh, hired onto the Optimistic team. And I also love the way that this article was written. Um, it, you 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 can feel the ethos just exude out of the Optimistic team. The optimism exuding out of the Optimistic team. Uh, it's some really strong players here, and w- really, what this means is that optimism has really done a uh, is really ready to take it to the next level, right? And really get this thing out the gate. Uh, pr- business developers are on the team, more coders and more more integration specialists. Uh, a lot of really cool things to come. I'm optimistic about it, Optimism.
0: I could tell, David. All right. So, like the big takeaway from this, apart from their um, their their new hires, is that they are launching on mainnet in March. Now, originally they were planning to launch on mainnet in March in sort of a limited way with just a few pilot projects. Now it looks like they're gonna launch, like generally be open Mm -hmm. to everyone. And what Mm -hmm. rollups, if if you've been tuning into Bankless so far, what rollups allow you to do is essentially copy all of the DeFi protocols we know and love on another chain. So these are fully, Ethereum virtual machine compatible. So if, if Uniswap was to join this, Synthetics is already on it. If Uniswap was to join this, if if YFI was to join this, if, if curve was to join this, we'd create a whole nother rollup chain with all of our DeFi protocols, basically like a DeFi rollup chain. So this is uh, very timely given gas fees, very timely given the the narratives in the space. And I think is absolutely going to be a massive. Uh, launch event and then story going into 2021 as all of these DeFi money protocols kind of pick their their various scaling solution. I think optimism is poised very well here. David, they also announced uh, some additional investing. We had Chris Dixon on the podcast not too long ago, and Chris Dixon and his firm um, Andreessen Horowitz. So he he sort of runs the the crypto investing. Uh, area at Idris and Horowitz. They are investing. They just announced that they are investing in the optimism team too. How much money are we talking about here? Um, Wow. Part of a 25 million series A investment in optimism. So definitely some runway for that team and uh, super excited about what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, the,
1: the I and I think the other VC fund that doubled down already had a share of Optimism was Paradigm and they bought more. Um so Paradigm doubling
0: down on their bags. Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we also have layer 2 coming from uh, one of my favorite exchanges, decentralized exchanges, DYDX. Now they're doing this with not optimistic rollups, but zk rollups. But the net effect is, is similar in that they're going to be able to scale DYDX to new levels without using Ethereum mainnet block space. But it will be just as secure as the Ethereum mainnet. David, any takes on this news? Yeah, I think this is going to
1: be a theme in coming roll-ups is Project X DeFi Protocol Y scales. Goes on to L2, optimistic rollups or zk rollups or something. Uh, so um, get used to it, I guess, uh, is is my takeaway. Uh, DYDX, one of the first. Uh, I expect. You know, here, here's a prediction for you, Ryan. I'm just making this up right now. At least three projects will uh, be on next week's weekly rollups on some sort of
0: L2. Wow. Okay. We'll see. We'll I'll uh, I'll try to remember that, David. You know, mm-hmm. one other thing. I think that's important to realize is that there are different dimensions to scaling. Uh, Transactions per second, is, is certainly one of them. But another one is how do we scale oracles? And our conversation this week with Hart from the UMA pr- protocol um, really impressed that upon me, David. It's like, so oracles of course are useful for everything in Ethereum that requires a price and synthetic assets all require a price. So the scalability of oracles is, is really essential for kind of the, the different assets and, and money primitives that we can create on Ethereum. Well, Chainlink has been one of the predominant Oracle-type solutions. One challenge with Chainlink is it costs a whole lot in terms of of gas. Uh, These are validators on Chainlink that are paying this gas, but it, it costs them a lot in block space, in gas, in fees to push these prices on chain. Well, Chainlink just released a new upgrade that is going to drastically reduce the cost ten times more efficient to put um, pricing on chain than it previously was. This is another dimension of scalability that we like. I think is underreported, David, but like is just as important right. to what we're trying to do in DeFi.
1: Right. There's, there's two ways to scale. There's, we can produce more block space and we can do that with ZK rollups and other L2s. L2s is generally uh, building out new places to have block space Uh, and then they bundle that up and then put that on the main chain. That's one way to scale. The other way to scale is to just simply optimize and be more efficient with what we put onto the chain, right? And so uh, MakerDAO, when they run their oracles, specifically MakerDAO's oracles cost 20 to $30,000 a day in gas alone. Just to put prices on the chain so that the app can, can operate. Uh, there are optimizations that we could be doing here. And, and one of the strategies that MakerDAO is doing, and is exactly the same kind of pattern that Chainlink is doing here, is they do a lot of their computation off chain in a trustless manner, in a, in a cryptographic manner, and then they only publish the bare minimum on chain, right? And so, simply just doing less on the L1 and optimizing what you do with the L1 block space is going to be huge, especially for oracles, right? Um, Oracle optimization is really, really important. And there's other like vectors as well, aside from oracles, like uh, Coinbase uses like 20 to 30% of Ethereum block space simply because they're not well optimized. Uh, And so block space will become more available when, when heavy computation teams like chainlink makerdao coinbase etc figure out how to optimize and and put more of that computation on on not on the l1
0: yeah david i think every team is working for up op to, toward optimization we were talking to the nifty gateway um co-founders uh they 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 said in their next release they're going to reduce the minting cost of an nft on chain by 99 percent. so this is uh, it's awesome to see this sort of innova- innovation and efficiency that these teams are, are bringing due in part to high gas prices david talk about this one so ave and balancer are partnering in some way what are they doing here so if you guys are listening to this weekly roll-up on Friday
1: morning, when, when this comes out, we are doing a live stream with uh, Stani from Ave and Fernando of Balancer, moderated by Dan Elliser. So something pretty unique on the Bankless YouTube, we it's going to be live streaming at 12, uh, 12 Pacific time. Definitely tune into that if you want to learn more about this. But basically what Ave is doing is using Balancer as its backend, as its asset management platform to produce yield for its deposited assets, right? Uh, so Balancer is kind of like Uniswap, but instead of two tokens, it's many tokens. And so uh, Balancer and Aave are working together to make a balancer pool to generate liquidity for assets that are in Aave, but also generate yields. And so it'll actually be more lucrative to deposit assets into Aave because they're using Balancer in their backend for liquidity and for yield. Uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool. So tune into that live stream if you want to learn more.
0: the way i understood this is if you are a liquidity provider in a balancer pool right you're not necessarily earning interest on those assets that are inside of the pool and what this is going to do is essentially allow a portion of those assets inside of the pool to be earning interest in the ave protocol so super cool to see this kind of uh, collaboration coming out Uh, david this is also awesome we've been tracking this for a while we've got all of these great nfts but how do, you, how do you display them? This is Zapper coming out with a user interface uh, enhancement. Zapper is, is just a fantastic uh, tool along with zurion to see kind of your crypto assets, your crypto portfolio. And now Zapper is extending that to NFTs. So you could, you could see your super rare art that you purchased, your NFT art inside of the Zapper platform, inside of that wallet. David, what's your take here? Yeah, there's so
1: much to unpack here, right? So we got to start off with the conversation that NFTs are status tools, right? So crypto dollars, ether, Bitcoin, these are wealth tools. NFTs are status tools. Like the Mona Lisa is a status thing. Whoever owns the Mona Lisa, it's a big deal, right? Art is a status thing. It's a way to signal status. And one of the problems that NFTs has is that typically, if you buy an NFT, you can only view it on the one pla- the issuing platform, right? So if you bought it on Rarible, you got to go to Rarible. If you bought it on Nifty Gateway, you got to go to Nifty Gateway. There are aggregators like OpenSea that are helping with this, but this is exactly the same type of innovation that we're seeing out of Zapper, where you can see your assets, see the actual visual visual representations of your NFTs displayed here, along with the market value, right? And so not only can you include the value in your portfolio, you can actually make it display, right? Uh, And so I kind of expect some sort of, specialization when it comes to people's crypto wallets that, you know, maybe they hold their funds in one wallet, but their art in another wallet so that they can flash their art, right? Like show people what I, what I own, like all the NFT, all the cool NFTs that I bought without having to dox all their funds. Um, I think innovation like that is definitely coming. And it's really cool to see Zapper being able to innovate on like both, both the the value of NFT size and the display of NFT sides, because what are NFTs if they don't have a visual display of the art?
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see all the the social signaling type wallets that that come out of uh, come out of crypto, given the, the NFT the NFT bull market here. Uh, David, let's talk about this. Alchemix is releasing something. Uh, can you tell us what Alchemix is? Yeah, Alchemix is a, is a new DeFi
1: money Lego, right? Uh, attempting to be relatively governance minimized, retent- uh, attempting to be protocolized. Um, but the way that this works is that you deposit your crypto dollars. Right now, it starts starting off with DAI, and then those DAI, the, the DAI gets deposited into YEARN to generate yield. And then Alchemix will mint you AL USD or, or AL a- 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 uh, uh, stable coins. So you deposit stable coins, and then you borrow stable coins. But the thing is, is that you don't actually, uh, if you are patient, you don't actually have to pay back your debt. Uh, So typically with DeFi protocols, when you borrow, you have to pay an interest rate. Uh, But because Alchemix has Yearn in the background, Yearn, the interest that you get from depositing to Yearn automatically pays back the debt that you uh, that you took when you borrowed al usd and so if you are if you are patient you just get free money uh be it from the interest rate so you deposit a hundred dollars of die you get to like withdraw 70 al usd but you don't actually ever have to pay that back and eventually you can just go back to Alchemix and withdraw your die or mint al more al usd it's a it's a um system that auto repays your loan for you because it's generating yield in the background. So it's pretty
0: cool. That's super cool. And I think what the, the the macro story here is, is this is now we're seeing like, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth layer money Legos. Cause this whole thing, Alchemix is built on top of Wire, which is built on top of all sorts of other lending and borrowing <laughs> mm-hmm. protocols, which is built you know, on top of stable coins, which is built mm-hmm. on top of Ethereum. So we've got like, this is why, we call it money Legos because we have right. these these sort of stacking type effects, and uh, you can you can create things on top of other things. Now, now we're seeing things being created on top of a yield aggregator itself, on top of mm-hmm. earned So that's pretty wild. Yeah. I said that that the Alchemix protocol was governance
1: minimized. I I actually got that confused with something else. It's not, it's not attempting to be a governance minimized
0: platform, but everything else I said was true. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for clarifying, David. Uh, (laughs) David, Lattice is doing some cool things. You just did an unboxing. They've got some Lattice's back in stock. Uh, You want to give us a sneak peek of this?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did my first unboxing video. Uh, I'm not good at that, by the way. <laughs> I, I realized somebody made in the comments like it took me, it took them like four or five minutes to figure out what I was actually unboxing. I kind of forgot to tell them that it was a hardware <laughs> wallet. Uh, yeah. So I, I did an unboxing for a a Lattice One from Grid Plus. Uh, so if you want to know uh, and get more intimate details as to what that's all about, uh, go check that out. Uh, I do. I go through the whole setup process so you can see what that's like, and then I kind of give my thoughts as like what the who the product is for. If it's really into into you, or, uh, if it's really a good product for you or not, the metaphor that I came out with while I was making that uh, video, Ryan, is it's a uh, landline hardware wallet, kind oh. of. Is, is this the metaphor I'm working with? Because it needs to be connected to Wi-Fi, so it needs to be in your home, right? And so you must somebody if you want to make a transaction, somebody must be local to the unit, right? By definition, and that unit is in your own home, and so the Lattice One adopts the security of your home which is pretty cool, pretty cool.
0: Well guys, this is worth it just to see David uh, peel off this look of Glee as he peels off the plastic from his lattice (laughs) uh, display. It's just worth it just for that. Mm -hmm. Um, David, let's end on this on releases. This is actually like a future release. Tim Bako put together a GitHub proposal for EIP 1559, the much awaited EIP, maybe the most awaited EIP in Ethereum's history. Uh, and he, he proposed that it be included in the London ETH hard fork. So if I'm not mistaken, we have a date now for the next ETH hard fork, Ethereum mm-hmm. uh, hard fork, which is uh, in April, and that's going to be called Berlin. And EIP-1559 would not be in that April hard fork. It would be in the one after, which is estimated to be sometime in the summer, like June, July, August, That time, that kind of time frame. Uh, And if all of this happens and if this proposal is accepted, that would mean we would get EIP-1559 this summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I re- I remember
1: earlier predictions, and I think even on uh, the bull case for Ethereum podcast with DC Eric and Anthony that we actually perhaps didn't even think about EIP one five five nine coming into Q four or even Q one of twenty twenty two. The fact that that Tim Tim Bako, who by the way has the most information about EIP one five five nine period, he knows the most. He knows he runs he runs the whole show like he's he's the organizer behind it. He's making a proposal to get it included into the London hard work so this is a a proposal for inclusion is what you would need to see to get eip 1559 included this is the first step so this proposal will be reviewed and then the uh the eth1 core developers will analyze whether this is ready for inclusion or not and if there is consensus among core developers it shall be included uh in the london update which again theoretically slated for this summer so we're on we're
0: on the way we're on the way Absolutely. I mean, uh, it could take longer than this summer. Sometimes mm-hmm. hard forks have a tendency to be delayed, but this is overall good news. It means Tim mm-hmm. thinks this EIP is in a place where it can be proposed and included. Uh, huge. All right, David, huge. let's get Absolutely to huge. the news. Uh, Fedwire went down. Ethereum Uh-oh. never goes down, but Fedwire Uh-oh. did. <laughs> what is Feb- Fedwire and what chaos did this bring with it?
1: Right. So Fedwire is how the Fed transfers uh, balances between banks, right? The US dollar asset transfer mechanism between commercial banks and other banks, right? And and it broke, apparently. Uh, So centralized systems are fragile. They (laughs) can go down because they're not redundant. And I kind of forgot that, that the Fedwire could even go down like it's Could not really break. something you think about yeah, yeah like your money system isn't supposed to break right it's supposed to just work uh but you know at the end of the day centralized systems are fragile centralized systems go down like whoopsie daisies uh and I, actually i think this even got reported by the gemini twins when they had to make an announcement or some sort of release saying like hey like deposits in and out of our our exchange like are being paused because this Fedwire thing is broken. So sorry about that. Not our fault. It's the Fed's fault. Um, Crazy. Absolutely crazy that like the dollar just has downtime. Like that's nuts.
0: Yeah. I mean, this paralyzed a whole bunch of banks for a few hours and it makes you think about like cybersecurity attacks. What what would that be like? It makes you think Mm -hmm. about like, um, you know, somebody somewhere has a button they can press and power this whole thing down. A lot of centralization uh, underlying the, uh, the the traditional banking systems of today. Um, David, let's get back to what I think is probably the biggest news item. We, we, we teased it a little bit when we were talking about the market, and that is Coinbase's S1 filing. It's, it's, it's notes, basically, uh, the things it's publicly disclosing before it's about to IPO. I've got a few gleanings from this. Maybe you could add yours too. The first is 43 million verified users that is like, that's massive, right? 43 million, um, 2.8 million monthly transacting users. They are just crushing it in terms of, of revenue. 2020 revenue was a 2x from, uh, 2019 revenue. There's a lot more here, but what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, it's just really cool to be able to access this information.
1: I know a lot of data geeks like Nick Carter were really waiting for Coinbase to file this so that they could poke around. Uh, and so we are getting some early digestion from, from people like Larry Cermak, who works at The Block. Uh, it's his job job to digest information. So I think this is just the first of many big takeaways that we're going to get out of this Coinbase filing. Uh, and really what what this is indicative is that You know, Coinbase, not really a well-optimized company, kind of burning a lot of money, but they're making so much money, it doesn't even matter. And I think this is just going to indicate to the rest of the financial world that there is so much money to be made in crypto selling shovels. You don't even have to believe in Bitcoin. You don't even have to believe in crypto or the bankless vision. You just have to know that there's money to be made selling shovels here. And a lot of people are going to want to get in on that.
0: Coinbase has $90 in assets on their platform, David. And they're getting ready to IPO at a market cap of a hundred billion in valuation. Like if I am, if, if I'm a traditional bank at this point, right. I'm starting to get worried. I'm starting to sweat because it's, it's not just like, maybe DeFi is not on my radar at all, but like Coinbase is on my radar. Mm -hmm. You know how Mm -hmm. we were, we were just saying that, you know, the, uh, any any of the assets that that many people in crypto sell will actually stay in in crypto dollars this cycle well who really owns crypto dollars it's these crypto banks like coinbase and gemini like they totally mm-hmm. own that they like my my gemini account my coinbase account is so much more useful to me even than my my Wells Fargo account because it has this bridge into the world of DeFi and it's also just very useful on its own. So if I'm a traditional bank, I'm starting to sweat a little bit. These guys mm-hmm. are coming and they're about to eat my lunch. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I wonder what some of the, the meetings are like on these executive teams, if, if, if they're kind of seeing it, if JP Morgan is seeing it, if um, Bank of America is seeing it, if uh, they're worried at all about what's happening here.
1: Ryan, earlier in this episode, we talked about what we're going to do when we uh, decide that uh, this bull market is close to being over and we sell into crypto dollars. Well, if we do ever want to get our, cause, because we are bankless natives, like we live with our financial monies in Ethereum, like in our, own, in our own wallets. But if we ever do want to bring that cash back into the world where kind of the rest of people are, like if we ever want to improve our local environment, if I want to buy a really expensive plant, I'm going to have to go through the crypto banks. Yep. And that's not Wells Fargo. That's not you know Bank of America. That's Coinbase and Gemini. And if well, Gemini is rolling out a credit card, well, and yeah. Let me ask you this: Coinbase is rolling out a debit debit card. And so, what financial products are left for people like you and me from the from the le- legacy? This is banks? what I mean.
0: This is what I mean. So, David, you have your Ethereum account, which is like your your bankless bank account, basically, and all of the Ethereum addresses that you have, right? Um, what would it take for you just to 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 live basically on your Ethereum accounts and then mm-hmm. also a Gemini account and completely shut down your traditional you know wells fargo account or whatever bank that you use like what would it take wouldn't it just take my god gemini has a credit card <laughs> and then like mm-hmm. you could pay all of your bills and then why do you need your wells fargo account right right like mm-hmm. uh, only to
1: receive payments from other people that are not bankless and then i can transfer it over to crypto anyways
0: exactly and even then uh you know it, it seems to me that somebody could build a, a very easy bridge so that you could receive mm-hmm. funds in gemini or coinbase right. i don't think these banks know that the writing is on the wall for them but it is on the writing is on the wall for them for sure um all right tell me about nyan cat i was embarrassed (laughs) when we went over the notes dude like i've seen this all over the place like this Uh meme this cat with a rainbow uh but i didn't know what it was um what is it and what's happening here
1: yeah nyan cat is like embedded into the internet itself at this point it's like one of the og viral internet memes that turned boomers in for a tizzy about like, what the <laughs> hell is this thing? Like, why do people care? It's just this animated Pop-Tart looking cat with rainbow coming out. It's butt, like going through space. Like it just went through the internet, like back it's years ago. I don't even know what, want to know what, it's probably, it could have been like early 2000s, right? Uh, Grand meme before crypto was even a thing, and the original artist sold it, sold a, a, a an NFT version of it for 300 ETH, which is almost half a million dollars. And I think what's really interesting about this, Ryan, is that the original artist remastered the GIF, as in he probably just started over from scratch, right? He probably just made it again and just brand made a brand new GIF, and then sold that GIF that he made fresh, new for 300 ETH, right? but the and the, the point is there is that it wasn't the original gif because at this point where is the original gif he probably lost it because it's on the internet it's just like on the internet the point is is that the original artist made a new gif that was the same as the old gif but it, the original artist sold it for 300 eth it's not about the gif it's about the legitimacy of the of the original artist being able to make that nft if i went and made a neon cat nft I hope people would be would slap me around and be like, "No, you don't have the rights." To well, make you that could, NFT. and you
0: could, and you could, David. Right? You could just I take could've. that that gift from anywhere and, and list mm-hmm. it on Rarible or mm-hmm. Nifty Gateway or somewhere else. But like that doesn't give it the value, is what you're saying?
1: Right. Exactly. The value lies in the hands of the artist, and the artist himself was the minter of this NFT, which means that the artist himself has the rights to sell this
0: NFT. It's not about the art; it's about the legitimacy. That's, that's so interesting, right? Because what people are buying at the end of the day is authenticity. And mm-hmm. and without that authenticity, they don't get the the, the social status, the signal boost that yep. they're really looking for exactly. from these NFTs. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have always believed this was the case. I think like even as recent as uh, six months or, ago, you and I were trying to figure out NFTs and like, is anybody really going to pay for a JPEG right. or a GIF? Uh, and, um, now it makes so much (laughs) answer is yes, because what they're not just paying for the digital imprint, they're paying for the authenticity and, uh, you can't disagree with the market. The market is saying that people want NFTs and they pay a lot for them. 300 ETH, man. That's crazy. Super Um, crazy. All right. Uh, South Korea banning privacy coins from crypto banks. I guess my, my quick question to you here, David is, Um, Is this just the beginning of, of more of these bans? So like they're banning privacy coins like Zcash and and Monero. Do you think that's going to be like the future, one of the final bosses we have to deal with?
1: Yeah. Privacy coins are going to be a a much more difficult subject than Bitcoin and Ethereum um, simply because of their nature. I kind of think it's not that big of a deal just because my privacy coins don't have that large of a market cap. And really the story is store of value, right? Not privacy. Uh, we, we know from Chainlink that less than 1% of crypto activity is, uh, is crime. And so the value of privacy coins just aren't that big of a deal. And I think nation states just see the promise of the narrative behind privacy coins and then they get scared but they don't look at the fundamentals they don't really look at are people really using these things and they also don't understand that at least my theory is that privacy is an application not an asset which means that there should be applications on ethereum that let you make your die private or make your eth private that seems to be where i think the long-term trends toward privacy will go um it's interesting to watch nation states try and control things though. I think that is really the through line <laughs> of this story. Do you know what's
0: what's interesting is the the question of if if Bitcoin or Ethereum had privacy on its base layer just like baked in and every we we had the technology to make every transaction uh, private from the get go because mm. uh, you know the the people behind this movement would have if they could but the technology just wasn't there so we have pseudo anonymous Um, addresses rather than completely anonymous addresses. But if we had done that, if it was baked in, do you think that nation states would have been much more hostile to these, these assets and these networks from the very beginning? I think it's very possible. Like, I think it's possible that um, not having privacy baked into the base layer was actually a blessing because it meant that the nation state states weren't afraid of these these crypto networks from the beginning and didn't try to, you know, strangle them in the crib as it were. What do you think of that take?
1: Yeah, I I think it's possible. I think privacy at the base layer is a problem for other reasons though, because privacy at the base layer reduces the auditability of these systems. Right. And so, um, uh, it's, it's easier to audit Bitcoin than it is Monero. It's, to- it's possible to audit the supply of Monero. That's a myth. That it's people thinking that like, you can't actually audit the supply of Monero, that's actually a myth. You totally can. But the point is of the ease of, of said activity and the ease of auditing the supply of Ether. Um, uh, transparency, again, like transparency, in my opinion, is an app, not an asset.
0: David we mentioned this last week but uh, Alpha Homora had a hack Alpha Homora and mm-hmm. and Cream there was an exploit uh massive mm-hmm. amount of of funds were stolen one of the larger defi hacks what's interesting that, was
1: it that big i thought it was 11 million dollars
0: no Which i is think not it was a small like, amount of money it was it was closer to 40 million as if i am recall correctly um so you know pretty pretty large one but what's interesting about this is uh, this week they just announced um, a fund repayment program. So they are going to make anyone who who um, lost assets in that exploit, they're going to make them whole. And the way they're going to be doing this is partially through the value of their tokens, which is interesting to me, David, because as we've seen in exploits in the past in DeFi, what inevitably ends up happening is token governance votes and decides to make any of those users who lost funds whole. We saw it in the BZX hack, we've seen it in other hacks. And I feel like at some level, what we've just reinvented is is kind of equity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so if there is some major event uh, an issue in a publicly traded company, like shareholders take the brunt of it. They get diluted rather than sort of debt holders or users of the platform. And that seems to be the case here, which also implies that the value of a token underlying a protocol can act as a sort of insurance or as a backstop against these exploits. All of these things are very interesting to me. Do you have any takes?
1: Yeah, the, the the alpha token has not. Um, it's got taken a hit, as you would expect any sort of protocol to. To do if they if they got hacked, they be like people get scared, people flee, people sell, um, and so you're totally right. And this is actually much more formalized in the MakerDAO system, where MKR is not a theoretical backstop; it is the backstop, and it's in the protocol that it will get minted in case the system becomes insolvent. Uh, and so it's interesting to see newer DeFi systems to kind of take a more informal approach to that. Um, but I do I think it's, it's it's relieving to see that DeFi protocols find ways to make people whole again. If something goes wrong, um, It's kind of the benefit of have some of these DeFi protocols not being actually DeFi, quote unquote, is that like they're not actually decentralized. They're they're nice money Legos, but the team is centralized. And in the young genesis of these systems, like human control over these systems is kind of nice, right? And like we
0: can actually repair holes as they as they come about. Right, repair holes via governance vote, um, David. Let's let's take these two news items as one. So Michael Saylor. MicroStrategy <laughs> Did just again. bought another one billion in Bitcoin, so that's big in and of itself. Uh, but Square released some information, so Square, the payments company, that they mm. also have one hundred and seventy million dollars worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, what, what, what is this? These two stories, these two headlines, signaling to us? You know, I'm not actually a hundred percent convinced that the Michael
1: Saylor buys one billion dollars of Bitcoin is actually different from the last story that we reported on the Weekly Rollup. So they're all starting <laughs> to blur together. It, 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 I,
0: I just think inhabit. he bought
1: I, I think Every he bought another he billion more. dollars. I don't. They're all they're all blurring together. Um, but then also Square, which already had fifty billion dollars, billion? Yeah, uh, no, fifty million dollars. Um, of Bitcoin purchase on the balance sheet. They bought another 170 million uh, and this was released in their quarterly report. And then also very strong revenue numbers out of Square from their cash apps, uh, which is how a lot of people but make their Bitcoin purchases. So in the same vein as Coinbase signaling to the rest of the world that Bitcoin and Bitcoin services are extremely lucrative, Square is following up on that just as strongly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, David, there was some Tether news this week with mm. the New York Attorney General. If, if people remember that, um, New York Attorney General was taking Tether and Bitfinex to task for the, I guess, the uh, the backing of their stablecoin. What happened here?
1: Yeah, so there has been this apparently two year long uh, probe into Tether to just understand what is real and what's not real behind Tether. Um, and so they they discovered that there was just some inconsistencies with their banking and what they reported and, and their public facing statements. Right. Uh, and so I actually haven't really gotten to the bottom of this story. Uh, I haven't figured I may have been able to measure the severity of this but like my biggest takeaway is that banking for Tether is a huge issue uh, because they're kind of legally gray, legally dubious, they're offshore. And so like Tether really has to kind of make do with what it's got and kind of get creative with its banking layer so that it can facilitate its Tether printing and redeeming, right? Uh, And so what that means is that there's different funds and different bank accounts. Uh, Some are totally controlled by Tether. Some are controlled by Tether's lawyers. Some aren't. There's just kind of this hodgepodge patchwork solutions that Tether has made and then because of their nature, because they're kind of dubious. And so, uh, and and then there's also Tether trying to make very strong PR um, uh, moves made to make sure that uh, people that use Tether feel secure about using Tether. So there's a discrepancy between their alignment of their banks and the minting of Tether. Uh, and so they got hit with an 18 and a half million dollar fine. And like, I, I, I don't know how malicious or, irresponsible Tether was being. Um, but the market seems to be t- relatively OK with it. Like perhaps perhaps this was one of the reasons why Bitcoin dumped. But I kind of think Bitcoin is going to dump anyways. Um, I'm not totally on top of this story. There's a number of different threads to go on.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I do believe in the report. It, it was was evident that Tether was not always backed one to one in dollars in a bank account somewhere. And Tether will tell you that's because, hey, we couldn't get a bank account. And uh, the prosecution would say, "Well, no, it's because you know you were you were making, you were making money in other ways on on those those dollars, and you're benefiting from not having them fully one to one backed." Um, regardless, the, the problem with all of this, of course, is that it kind of breaks the cr- crypto mantra of like, "It's not don't be evil; it's can't be evil," right? If on-chain on with DAI, for instance, we see all of the assets that are backing the DAI stablecoin. We don't see that with Tether. It's kind of in these dark bank accounts somewhere. But the other takeaway for me, David, was that $20 million fine. You know what that is? It's a slap on the wrist. Nothing. Like, it's nothing. It reminds me of EOS. They print that every day. <laughs> they print. Like, who cares? Yeah, f- $20 Uh <laughs> I mean, like... With EOS, when the SEC found that they had listed and uh, sold an unregistered security, it was a similar slap on the wrist, like $30 million. What's interesting about all of this is it seems to be the case, if you have enough money, you don't have to worry about regulation. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Mm -hmm. you're just going to get kind of a slap on the wrist out of this. So I'm not sure what lessons are being taken away uh, from the crypto industry writ large, if any. But the lesson I'm getting is, man, open transparent, decentralized protocols is the way we need to build this space. So we're not building on rotten foundation. David, Brave Wallet, which is a browser that I use, um, Mm -hmm. actually Brave the browser, they are releasing a crypto wallet, maybe sort of a MetaMask type competitor, and also a DEX aggregator. What this really signals to me is that they are doubling down in crypto. It's interesting to me because they have about 25 million monthly active users now. So it's no longer a small niche browser. They're, they're, they're kind of getting up there into the millions in terms of uh, users. What do, you, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, so I mean, crypto is internet native finance, and you access the internet through the browser. So this kind of just makes sense. Like uh, Brave already had their native Brave browser wallet, and now they are integrating the native Brave browser Dex aggregator. Uh, we also saw MetaMask do this. Like MetaMask also has a Dex, Dex aggregator built in as well. Um, so just more innovation being b- pushed out
0: in, in every single corner of the internet. I love metamask but i would definitely love to see some uh browser competition to metamask Mm -hmm. to to push metamask into uh building it's the best version of itself so uh hopefully that um that comes to pass david that has been the news should we get to takes let's uh let's get
1: to takes absolutely wait no uh so rare click that click that link yeah that one uh so this is nba top shop but for soccer or what the international (laughs) listeners might call football. Um, So this is really big. Uh, This is, uh, I think, officially, yeah, officially licensed. Yeah. So uh, football clubs of of Europe and around the world are on board with this. And football, soccer is a lot bigger than literally every other sport. Uh, And so NFTs uh, into
0: the mainstream in another way. Here we go. These guys have been out for a little while, but they just announced a pretty massive raise again. So, Mm -hmm. um, pretty impressive. These are getting funded. Of course, that comes on top of Top Shots, which raised at a valuation of multiple billions. Yeah, two and a half billion. Mm -hmm. Man. So, um, NFTs aren't just heating up in terms of of sales and interest. They're definitely heating up in terms of uh, investment as well. Okay, now let's get to the takes. Now, can we start start with your friend, Michael Michael Burry? Uh, (laughs) My BFF. Yeah, your friend. So you've (laughs) talked about him before when we had that uh, GameStop rant. Mm -hmm. Um, Who is Michael Burry and what is he talking about these days? Yeah, Michael
1: Burry is the character depicted in that movie, The Big Short. He's the hedge fund manager who uh, shorts the market before anyone else does, perhaps arguably a little bit too early, but you never really know. Um, And then he was also the guy that publicized that he was long GameStop before GameStop uh, blew up. And so now Michael Burry is saying that inflation is coming. Uh, and this has been the Bitcoiner thesis. This is the, the dollar is trash thesis. Uh, he thinks that inflation's coming. And I think that's totally, I'm, I've been. Th- dabbling in this thought process myself for a while and um i uh, if michael burry says it uh more and more people will believe it to be true which actually kind of in the way money works might actually cause the inflation itself it's kind of a <laughs> meme um but then also we we also saw this is not on this page but we also saw michael burry uh, publicly tweet about nfts he deleted that tweet which is kind of sad um, but michael burry paying attention to the macro world and protocols and bitcoin
0: and stuff of this nature it's interesting because he's got some narrative steam behind him. I mean, he was right in two thousand eight in in the biggest way, like, and because of the Big Short movie, everyone knows he was right. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, uh, he was right during the 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 GameStop uh, stock. He was right on kind of the you know the price of that and and the hedge fund manager shenanigans. So the question is, does he have the narrative power to make this sort of reflexive? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, that's definitely interesting. But he he's also says that. Governments might squash Bitcoin and gold in an effort to protect their currencies. So he's just mapping this out and he's saying, hey, if, if fiat currencies do start to hyperinflate, then world governments are going to start taking an aggressive posture on them. Um, that, that was a take that Ben Hunt had as well. What's, mm-hmm. what, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is definitely something to keep an eye on. He, he, he drew, drew a connection between uh, hyperinflation in 1920s Germany to what, kind of where we are today. Uh, and hyperinflation or a very inflating currency goes hand in hand with very strong authoritarian governments. So like the connection is there to be made. Um, yeah.
0: We will see. Okay, uh, David, can we talk about this tweet? So this was from, or maybe let's just talk about this story yeah. Um what this th- this is a room what i'm looking mm-hmm. at is a room in clubhouse, clubhouse right room. yeah mm-hmm. clubhouse room so what's going w- maybe people need to understand what clubhouse is um explain that and then why this is relevant
1: yeah, Clubhouse is a new socialization app. Uh, they brand it as like drop-in chat rooms. Uh, so they're permissionless chat rooms; anyone can join them. Uh, and then in each room, there will be a certain set of moderators who can elevate people to like the speaking side. And so there's listeners and there are speakers. Uh, and this uh, this chat, this uh, Clubhouse club, uh, which is called the uh, Culture Club, and they have apparently a number of these sessions. And that, importantly, it's specifically artists and creators not crypto people. Uh, and, but a lot of artists and creators are getting into crypto. And so this, this particular meeting of this uh, culture club clubhouse room uh, was talking about NFTs and it's titled legitimating, legitimizing NFTs in the art world. And in this clubhouse club, in the, the meeting I was, it, this was last night, Wednesday night, when I was, when I was in listening to this and a bunch of other crypto people were in this room as well. There was Beeple there. Uh, there was uh, Bobby. I don't know his last name, but Bobby, the creator of the hundreds brands uh, there was also. Also, um, uh, Grimes, uh, the artist Grimes, uh, also Elon Musk's wife, if, if people don't, aren't familiar with her music. And um, she's
0: releasing some NFTs this and week, she's right? She's releasing
1: some NFTs, right. And, the, and there were four and a half thousand people in this room. And when I got, I, I got into this room a couple minutes after it started and I wanted, I wanted to talk because I can talk about NFTs and kind of a public figure in the crypto space. So And I raised my hand so they could perhaps invite me into the room. They didn't because they don't know who I am because there's no, because they're not crypto people. <laughs> You're nobody. This is the point. I'm a no one to them because they are not crypto people. They are artists. And this was a room full of artists, of huge artists, Beeple, Grimes, et cetera. Then wow. they weren't they weren't there to shill their ETH bags like I was. They weren't there <laughs> to chill NFTs. They were there talking about what they called a, a pivotal inflection point in history. And this is the quote that Jake Berman, uh, who is a crypto person, put on his tweet. And this is what they said in this room. We are at a pivotal inflection point in history, specifically artist history. They don't care about Ethereum, they don't care about DeFi, they care about being able to c- c- culturally and creatively express themselves. And they are seeing NFTs as the vehicle to do that. And this, is, and this is so cool because like when, when I shill NFTs or Ryan, when you shill NFTs, kind of comes with the bias that we are also buying buy proxy shilling Ethereum, something that we believe in. These people don't have that bias. They are just here for the art, yet they are shilling NFTs because they see it as the next big thing. Wow. So cool.
0: Man, what this says to me is that NFTs have really hit escape philosophy, uh, mm-hmm. velocity because it's expanded way outside of the original crypto culture. And now it's kind of invaded mm-hmm. other cultures. And these other communities and cultures are building on top without even knowing that we exist, mm-hmm. without even knowing that like kind of crypto culture and bankless and all of these things exist. That is pretty powerful. Um, w- what about this? I think um, th- this is a quote that, that you Same tweeted movie. out too and did that this come maybe from clubhouse he said we are recapturing the emotional value that platforms have robbed from us over the last decade it sounds like a quote from one of those creators in that clubhouse meeting is that where you got this yeah that's exactly right somebody was
1: talking about uh,
0: the the what
1: has been robbed from them the 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 emotional energy that has been robbed from them from these web2 platforms instagram Google, Facebook, all of these, all of these platforms that there are creators on. They say that these Web two platforms have robbed them of their creative energy because they are intermediaries, because they are extractive, uh, and so these creators are, are identifying the fact that these NFTs are a direct cultural express, expression vehicle and a fan connection medium, and they're, they're identifying that really early in, in
0: NFT history, and so this is really cool. Like- it's almost like self-sovereign creation. You know how we talk about self-sovereign money? Well, th- these creators, they want to be sovereign over the creation that, that they make. And right now in Web 2.0, they're going through intermediaries at every stage. They're going through a, an art gallery in the physical world, or they're going through something like Spotify where they get sense on a song. And now they've got this new canvas, this new space to play, this new kind of economy where they can go directly to their fan base. That's what they're seeing here. That's exactly
1: right, and it's so awesome to. And it's very validating that non Ethereum people are spinning this same narrative that we have, but in in their respective camps. Um, Really cool, super cool. All
0: right, let's talk about this. Uh, This is Chris Berninski, one of our favorites. He -hmm. just goes through the math. Um, Here's what an eighty percent drawdown looks like. So, if ETH hit all time high of ten k this cycle, and there was an eighty percent drawdown, what would that be? Two k. If Bitcoin hits 300K this cycle and retraces down to 60K after an 80% drawdown. And his takeaway is there's a chance that what you're buying at these current prices you're buying is actually the bottom of the next bear. So Chris has just thrown out some math and he's just Mm -hmm. extrapolating what's happened three times in the past. This is now the fourth time it, it might be happening. He's just extrapolating the math. And um and in talking about how young we are in this in this bull market cycle.
1: Yeah, and this is some basic napkin math, but I honestly think kind of crypto does better with napkin math rather than any sort of like more robust calculations. Let's just do some like Occam's razor calculations, and that's what Chris is doing. Uh I believe it. Um perhaps 10K is not the top for ether though. Question mark. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm gonna have bull market goggles on. I don't know.
0: Well, in December, right, uh, we we had that bull market podcast, and mm-hmm. it was interesting. The range we had Eric Connor mm-hmm. who predicted top of the bull run might be twenty five hundred, and then we had DC yeah. Investor who came in at twenty k at his mm-hmm. top prediction, and then Anthony Sasano was right in the middle at ten k. I feel like that's the range, and uh, twenty five hundred <laughs> is is definitely on the low side here, but we could well past ten k if this bull mm-hmm. run gets really heated uh, hot. We all. We made those predictions back in December when things were a, a bit more sober. So I tend yeah. to trust them more, David. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. It's
1: important It's important to remember to not become more bullish just because prices are going up. That's not a
0: reason to be bullish. Exactly. All right. Um, we'll talk about this reason to be bullish. This is you on Twitter. Ethereum will produce more jobs over the next decade than the top 10 companies in the S&P 500 combined. You know what this says to me? More jobs, right? When you say more jobs... You start talking about a new economy that's Mm -hmm. being created. Is that what you're talking about? This new economy that's actually going to employ people like creators, like those, yeah, the creators making those NFTs in Clubhouse. Um, That's what you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, and not only that, but DeFi protocol treasuries have millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I I know for a fact, Sushi has like $200 million in their treasury. um, And that's just just one protocol, right? Every single DeFi uh, protocol has a treasury and they need laborers and workers to work for them. And so that's one like employment vehicle. The other employment vehicle is exactly what you said, where NFTs offer creators a way to monetize their own labor which is also huge, which means that they don't need bosses, right? And one of the cool things about the jobs that I expect Ethereum to create Are jobs without bosses? Are jobs without strict organizational hierarchies? Right? They're just paying you. You you put in ten dollars of labor. Here's ten dollars. Right? You maybe you have to do health benefits on the side, insurance, whatever. But the point is, like Ethereum is this massively employing structure that isn't just allowing people to generate a livelihood for themselves over and over and over again in so many different ways. We talk about how much surface area Ethereum has that's also employment surface area that's also job creation service area it's going to be massive
0: you know it kind of reminds me of, of uh, the kind of the gig economy where mm-hmm. we all became gig economy workers for you know driving uber uber cars and you know delivering food and all of these things but the problem with the gig economy is is it's still centrally controlled centralized and mm-hmm. uh, you know uber is always going to take its cut right right um, this is this is like gig economy only it's self sovereign gig economy mm-hmm. where you're working for yourself, you're also working for these protocols um, and, uh, and, and you're creating, uh, but it's not structured like a nine to five job. I, I think that's a huge takeaway for people. One of the, one of the benefits I think of, of going bankless is you start to discover how the new economy is going to work and it's not going to work with nine to five jobs and you know here's your paycheck and here's your, your health benefits. Uh, the new economy is going to work in these like digital cultural ecosystems and, uh, there's tremendous opportunities there, but you have to figure out how it works, right? You can't just go down the path that society has laid out for you, which is like, yeah, you know, you go to school, you get to high school and then you go to college and then you expect that nine to five job and you could buy a house, right? That hasn't worked for so many millennials. I don't think it's going to work for us now, and like we have to be smarter and we have to discover this new country, this new economy, uh, in the early stages, so we can maximize the opportunity. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And if if people don't
1: think that they can find a job in Ethereum, I think you're being a pessimist. Uh, The (laughs) the way I got started in crypto is I was working at uh, a physical therapy. I was working as a physical therapy aide. And then I would go back home and I would, this is in the middle of the the, the 2017, 2018 mania. And then I would go home and just learn. And at some point, instead of going home and learning, I started going home and writing, right? I just started producing. And I didn't do it because anyone paid me. Why would they have paid me? I hadn't created anything yet. But I just started writing, and like my first blog post got included in like the the week in Ethereum from Evan Van Ness, and I was over the moon. I was like, "Wow, this is so awesome! I got included in the week in Ethereum," and it's just snowballed from there. I just kept on writing, um, and then and then one day, like Medium deplatformed me, quote unquote. Uh, I think I just triggered like their bots or something. Uh, but then I made this tweet that was like. Medium deplatformed me like decentralization. Uh, it turns out it was just a, it was just a glitch. But then Ryan, that's when you said that you know David's writing is really valuable to me. Like what the fuck Medium? Like why why did you do that? I ended up getting my Medium back. Didn't really matter. Um, but the point is like that's when I discovered that people actually cared about what I wrote, and then that turned into a, a job at, at this. Uh, this ICO agency back in 2017 and then the security token agency and then realty and then bankless, right? It's all just rolled into jobs and jobs and jobs because I just started producing. And if you don't think that that can happen to you, think again, like people are looking to pay people in crypto for their labor. And if you want to get a job, all you have to do is try, like it can be done.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. You know, the, the thing, the thing about that story too, is David is you're not, you're not a developer you're not a coder. This is a technical space. Zero coding like, skills. Zero coding skills. Um, and, uh, and like you've, d- you've done so well to kind of create your opportunity here. There, there's mm-hmm. so much more than coding that needs to be done here. Community management, media, these are all areas you can tap into. The, thi- the thing to do is start getting plugged into these communities and figure out where your niche is. I mean, your niche was was fantastic. It was like writing, expressing these, these ideas and creating these mental models. Uh, and it turns out that's, uh, that's super valuable for people. Um, nice. Really cool story.
1: Thanks, man. So, hey, so social, there are plenty of, actually, I would say, I mean, developers are extremely highly paid, but, like, people that work on the
0: social layer
1: are also, they. people don't know they need those people, but those people are really, really important.
0: Do you know what? I'm not going to say they're more important. They're equally important. Like, the yeah. social layer is so important in crypto. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And it's it's equally as important as, as what we write in code. Um, yep, 100%. David? you know what? I have another take here, but I don't think we have time for it because it's kind of a longer take. Maybe we'll just refer okay. to it in the show notes. Um, well, it was but- a take that you had in the uh, bank list Discord.
1: So premium bank list of members definitely <laughs> saw that take.
0: Yeah. It's just like, we just heard I- your story, David, which is cool. I, I have kind of a, a personal story But I used to be in the validator business. I used to run a validator in uh, the Cosmos ecosystem and, and some other uh, delegated proof of stake ecosystems. And this is kind of a story of of uh, why I exited that essentially. And uh, the TLDR was my experience as a Cosmos validator left me more jaded on these delegated proof of stake systems of which Binance chain is mm-hmm. one. Um, which is why I was making this, this contrast. And it made me more bullish on Ethereum. Anyway, my full take is, uh, we'll, we'll include it as a link in the show notes. I, I tweet this out and it's also in the Bankless Discord. David, before we get to what we're excited about, we should take a minute to tell the listeners about our fantastic sponsors who made this episode possible. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum,
1: and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here, you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if i wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently one of aave's v2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets trade them on uniswap and then deposit them back into aave aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them check out the power of aave
0: at aave.com that's a-a-v-e.com. Guys, we've entered a bull market. Now is the time to start building your crypto empire and you should do it on Gemini. You already know Gemini is the world's most trusted crypto exchange, but now you can do even more than trade. You can earn. You can take one of your crypto assets and park it in an interest earning Gemini account where you can get up to 7.4% annualized. There's nothing more satisfying than earning passive income on an asset that you're already bullish on. This is a crypto native superpower. You know what's coming soon too? A Gemini crypto credit card. Yep, that's a credit card, not a debit card. It gives you rewards in hard money crypto assets, not something inflationary like airline miles or hotel points gives you up to 3% cash back in crypto. The card is coming in Q2, but you should get on the waiting list right now and we'll include a link. See what I mean? This is more than just trading. Gemini is your bridge to crypto for the bull market. Open a free account in less than three minutes at Gemini.com slash go bankless. Get $15 in Bitcoin after you trade your first $100. That's Gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back. David, let's start here. What are you excited about? Yeah. Keeping the conversation going about
1: Ethereum, the employer and NFTs expressing creativity, what I'm really excited about, and maybe this isn't excited, but this is more about what's on my mind. I recently watched this movie called Nomadland, which was uh, the. It was a story that followed this lady uh, after the 08 crisis, as she was kind of just a nomad living in a van, just hopping from state to state, trying to find work. And it was, it was a sad movie. It was a, it was a, depressing movie. It wasn't It wasn't a feel-good movie. It was about the struggles of people's lives after they lost their jobs and their homes. They were forced to live in a van and travel around America trying to find work. Very, very reminiscent of the Great Depression, right? People traveling trying to find work. Uh, and it, I, I, it hit me like a ton of bricks, dude. Uh, and I became like very, very kind of kind of sobered up about like hey what are we trying to do here in ethereum because i'm 100% a believer that if we had ethereum we wouldn't have had the financial crisis the financial crisis is the perfect example of something that would have not happened under a, a financial paradigm under the ethereum protocol and so what i'm what i'm excited for in the long term is about ethereum's ability to re- prevent and reduce suffering in the world and that starts by employing people self in a self-sovereign way giving people job opportunities that don't depend on financialization that don't depend on just like just massive, massive conglomerates of companies and and like Amazon and all these other just big centralized companies that just are the the outsourcers of jobs what i'm really excited for is to be able to create self-sovereign money and financial tools for people to have a job that doesn't get rug pulled from them because we don't have a financial system that that rug pulls the whole entire world uh and so i, I was reminded about how i how important this whole ethereum thing is uh and it's really important that we get it right because if we don't get it right if the if the values and ethos behind the, these crypto systems, Bitcoin and Ethereum, don't actually align with the people that they govern over, then down the road, that is systemic suffering and systemic badness, right? And I want Ethereum to be good. Um, it, it, hold
0: on. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. It's, stri- it's striking, David. I think that um, how, how systemic problems um, cost individuals, like the casualties are people who are generally on kind of the the lower rungs of society, right? Like mm-hmm. the weak and the vulnerable, right? So um, there is such a responsibility for those who are early, those who are designing the system. And we as users of these decentralized finance uh, systems, and and uh, honestly, as, as partially part of uh, designing the the social layer of these systems, mm-hmm. have to make sure we design them in the right way, right? Or else like, like what you just said is there's a tremendous amount of responsibility on those who are in the ecosystem now. Cause we're we're saying, Hey, here's this new financial system. It's better than the old get on the lifeboat. Right. But like if our lifeboat has holes in it, if it, if it, I mean, we're going to, if it's just the same as the boat that they just left uh, it'll cost people. So you're right. There's a tremendous amount of responsibility in, in what we're doing here to get it right. And the honest truth is, there are some problems that aren't solved yet, right? It's like yep. we have to make the base layer in general uh, and trustless blocks uh, scalable. Right now, I think of like high ga- gas fees. That's a problem. Okay. A we problems. don't want Ethereum to end up as a as a whale chain, right? That's a problem. User experience. Is, uh, is a problem and we have to make this accessible to to everyone to be able to manage their their private keys also the MeV problem we've talked about in the past that keeps bubbling up and surfacing its head we don't want to create a whole bunch of you know insiders who who can uh front run everyone else so um i'm gonna have to check out that movie so what's it called again uh Nomad Land. Yeah, Nomad Land. It came
1: out in 2021 and it, it was an indie film. Uh most people in the film weren't actors, which were pretty cool. They were just real people. uh um, wow. again, like hit, hit me like a ton of bricks, dude. That's cool. All right. I'm yeah. checking that out. <laughs> Ryan, what are you excited about? Well, Hopefully you, something a
0: little bit <laughs> less sad. <laughs> <down. laughs> it's less heavy anyway. It's heavy, yeah. <laughs> we had Mark Cuban on the podcast this week, my friend. We did? Wait, okay, David. <laughs> Uh, bankless the podcast is not even a year old actually we we celebrate our first year birthday Mm -hmm. it's like march Mm -hmm. 2nd or something march Mm -hmm. 1st or 2nd so it's next week not even a year old and we had mark cuban on the podcast that is a testament i think to the bankless community um the reason we got on mark cuban's radar is because everybody kept hitting mark up and saying hey bankless get on the podcast you're talking nfts you know, you, you should talk to them. You're talking DeFi. You should talk to them. Um, but that that is ab- absolutely huge and exciting. A few lines from that conversation, guys, you can check it out. If you haven't already, it will be on the podcast on Monday. It's up live on YouTube right now. Mark Cuban said he's learning solidity. Like, <laughs> I can't believe I, I, that's insane. a statement I'm making in 2021. Um, mm-hmm. He schooled us in some ERC twenty ERC standards. What was mm-hmm. the ERC? I'm going to forget it. Ed. Like
1: yeah, it was eleven fifty five, which 1155. is an, an NFT standard, but also
0: has some extra features built into it, which Mark yeah. knows plenty about, apparently. <laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, he knew what Euler beats were. were. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an NFT that we talked about on the last, like an audio NFT that we talked about mm-hmm. on the last uh, rollup. is totally plugged in. Um, you know, one of the things that. I think uh, stuck with me in the conversation. First, for one thing he said: get 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 long, then get loud. Right, mm-hmm. what was uh, a takeaway for me about um, you know once you're in an asset position. This is what everyone does: start talking about right. that. Talking your um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we do a lot of that when we're talking about ETH uh, and the values <laughs> that underpin it. But the other thing that he got right was this statement. He said: community creates value. Community mm-hmm. creates value. So three words. He was using that to describe NFTs, but it's also true of a money asset, monetary asset like Bitcoin mm. uh, and also of Ether. So I was just blown away with the depth uh, of his knowledge in in kind of crypto and, uh, and, and the takeaways there. So, um, man, feels like we're going mainstream this year.
1: Yeah, when we bring on big names like that in, onto the Bankless podcast and, and and other people who I wouldn't call Mark Cuban like a crypto native, right? And we also brought on uh, Dimitri Kofinis and Ben Hunt and Raoul Paul, all these people, I wouldn't call them crypto native. And I, when we when you and I make these agendas for these uh, conversations, I have this tendency to try and be like, try and teach and I don't, and I'm trying to not do that. And Mark Cuban was definitely somebody that didn't need any teaching, right? No, he like, didn't. <laughs> he was on par with us, and even past us in some technical knowledge in some realms, right? He he kind of still went down that like blockchain everything healthcare blockchain. I think yeah, yeah. I think he's gonna drift away from that in the long term, just like I, as, as, just like I did. Um, and but other than that, man, like his knowledge supersedes most people in this space.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. He really did his homework. I, if, if, 90, if, if 90% of the VCs did that level mm-hmm. of homework, they would be doing quite well on their investments mm-hmm. in crypto. You got to put in the hard work. Uh, yeah. David, let's get to our next section. Meme of the week. This is the last and final section. Do we have two memes again this week? Yeah, we we do have two memes. Well, they're really good. One
1: of them one of them is a little self serving because one of them is about me. Um, <laughs> but this first one this first one is uh, coming out of our podcast from uh, this Monday. Uh, L two Avengers Assemble. Uh, we got Robbie from Immutable. We got Justin from Synthetics, and then we got Matt from Loopring. Uh, what Matt is Iron Man. Uh, who Justin is Captain America, and then Robbie is Thor. Is that is that who Robbie is? Uh, yeah. yeah. So we got we got the uh, L two deep. Implementers assembling in this meeting is pretty good. This
0: is just awesome. Uh crypto wife Twitter handle needs to crypt uh needs to NFT this for sure. (laughs) For For sure. sure. Here's another one, dude. I laughed out loud when I saw this. (laughs) This is David. Yeah, this is David's background, right? And it starts Mm -hmm. uh if you if you can't see it on YouTube, it starts in January and he's got some plants behind him, and then it goes to February uh and he's got more plants, and then March. Uh, and then in April, he turns into Groot and, and he's got like an entire jungle behind him at this point. And I think the comment is the, na- the state of the nation is sprouting. This is probably a comment on the, the growth of um, crypto and everything in the bull market it was just hilarious, dude. Um, I, at one time, I thought I could out, out to plant you. Like I tried, made some people attempts. And then I was just like, dude, he's, I mean... It's It's it's, not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So I've just given up on that pursuit. You are definitely the king of plants, my friend.
1: Yeah, I I will say that the plant population behind me actually tracks the price of ether. So, (laughs) so this is actually what we're seeing. This is just a proxy for ether price. So when we see 10k ether, like damn, is it gonna be planty in here?
0: Wow, that's that sounds like a commitment that you just made, David. So uh, (laughs) we'll look for that. The, The greener it gets on ETH price, the greener David's background gets. That's That's what's going to happen. Guys, this, I, is I been... did, this
1: is a complete side note, but I did read this yeah. book one time about uh, human connection and psychology to to planet Earth. And apparently humans that see the color green more often are less depressed. Uh, and I connected that to plants, but I think you just connected it to
0: the green green candles, which I think, you know, green candles make me less depressed too. Green candles do make me happy. And uh, we, we've seen a lot of them. So a lot to be happy about these days. We're, we're definitely in a... a I I, I guess um, I'm feeling really good about the the time in crypto we're in. There's a lot of building, a lot of good stuff happening. If you're here along the journey, you're you're still early and uh, it's just a good time to be in crypto. Absolutely. So, David, we should cut off right there. Let me do risks and disclaimers. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the Bankless Journey. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been another weekly roll-up. Take care.